0: Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Jen Baer. She is a student and teacher of clinical psychology, a therapist, a teacher, a nutritionist, a mother, as of recently, and one of my favorite yoga instructors. How's it going, Jen? It's wonderful. It's so great to be here, Brett. I I was surprised that you wanted to do this, but at that point, I don't think I fully realized exactly how much you do. You have an MS in nutrition, and now you're a PhD candidate in clinical psychology. You do all kinds of amazing physical activities, from Brazilian jiu-jitsu to forest yoga, and you... God, you do everything. <laughs> Thank you, I think.
1: Yes, I do a lot of things. And it also feels like there's a lot more that I would like to do.
0: So I I get that. But someone who has as varied and as varied interests and who has pursued so many different things, I can't imagine that ends for you.
1: It's true. It's really true. In fact, one of the things when my husband and I got married, when we were trying to figure out where to go on our honeymoon. It was like the hardest thing to narrow it down. And we ended up going to three different, four different countries or something like that because we couldn't pick.
0: That, uh, (laughs) I would love to have the liberty to just not decide. (laughs) That would be a good position to be in. Um, Okay, so nutrition to clinical psychology as far as your kind of professional career, I guess, your your education anyway. Is there a tie there? Is there a link? Yeah,
1: so when I went to... I first chose to go into nutrition research, actually, and I found a program that had a nutrition research program that was close to where I was living, and it happened to have a clinical health psychology track to it that kind of combined nutrition and clinical health psychology, and when I first went into it, I was like, I don't care about therapy. I think that that stuff is woo-woo. I only care about the hard science. And so I started out just in nutrition research. And part of the program is you have to do a nutrition counseling course. And so I did that at the beginning of my second year. And in one of the first classes, we did some role playing and some practicing of basic therapeutic skills. And my whole experience changed. And it was like a part of me woke up that hadn't really even, like, that I hadn't been aware of before. And I knew in that moment that my professional trajectory was different than what I had originally envi- envisioned.
0: Does that happen to you a lot?
1: No, that was probably the first and one of the only times I would say that. And when I decided to actually teach yoga, those are the times where um, my trajectory has shifted pretty substantially. Okay. So when so after that class, I pretty much thought about it for about a 24-hour period, and then went in and talked to my registrar and shifted tracks. So I went from nutrition research to the nutrition clinical health psychology program with an emphasis on research. And really, what that program—it's one of the only ones in the country—and what they focus on is the idea that physical and mental health are related, and if you are feeding yourself food that isn't nourishing, you're not going to have the building blocks that you need to be able to have appropriate or stable mental health, or it's unlikely. And if you come into it already being depleted, and then you have an event in your life that makes it more likely for you to experience mental health problem, then it's going to be more difficult for you to recover if you don't have the appropriate nourishment in your life. And so we focused in that master's program on a nutritional point of view, but you can look at that and kind of broaden nourishment or the definition of nourishment so that it's not just the food that you take in, but also everything else in your environment.
0: That makes sense.
1: Thanks. I think so too. And that's pretty much how I think about my entire professional research um, career, is looking into how these different aspects in our environment and how things like nutrition and social support and all of that factors into how, how we are able to manifest our lives and have a meaningful, fulfilling existence.
0: uh, This is um, deeper than I thought, this connection, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it makes a lot of sense, especially knowing you from more of a yoga perspective. Mm -hmm. I think the kind of more holistic approach to nutrition where it's not just the uh, nutritional value of the things you put in your body. That right. is intriguing. And so you, you started doing some therapy at various um, universities and through existing practices.
1: Right. So as part of the master's program that I was in, we had to perform therapy or conduct therapy. And I had... A few different practica experiences there. I started in just the, so the school that I was at was called Bastyr Center for Natural Health. And they have a clinic in Seattle. And so I started there, did my first year of clinical training there. And then I did another year where I worked with people who were HIV positive or had AIDS. And I worked with them for about nine months. And then I spent another year working with people who had just been released from prison.
0: That, Wow. I never realized that therapy covers all of that. I always think of therapy as like rich white people <laughs> talking about mom issues or whatever.
1: It it comes in that form too, and <laughs>
0: <it> <laughs> I'm aware that it does come in that form. I didn't know it extended much. I, I guess I knew. I just don't think about it much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's that's awesome.
1: Thanks. Yeah. It was really incredible. Both of those were incredible experiences. Um, And I feel like for us therapists, oftentimes we get our early training in that sort of community service, um, community mental health resources area. And I think it's incredibly valuable. So that even if you do go and eventually go into private practice and have people paying out of pocket, so they're more likely to be in the higher socioeconomic status, It's really important to have that experience so that you kind of understand where a lot
0: of people are coming from. I don't even want to know what you think about me (laughs) in in my limited experience in real life and vast experience with television sitcoms, uh, therapists make horrible mothers. How do you feel about this?
1: I think that we're more likely to question what we're doing on a really regular basis.
0: I don't think that's bad.
1: I don't think that that's bad either. I hope I have sincere hopes that the way that I view the world through my training and my experiences and just who I am as a human makes me more likely to see my daughter as another human who is navigating this world and try and help her as best I can in the ways that I know to be able to do that um, with understanding and compassion and openness and all that kind of stuff. And I also know that I will fail miserably time and time again. It's That's just part of being human, too. Yeah. And I hope that having that mentality will make me more likely to be a quote unquote good mother. But I think that time will just tell.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine you being a bad mother.
1: Why, well, thank you. I, I think the
0: uh, in in the sitcom world, the common problem presented would be that Therapist becomes so good at kind of detaching from a situation. Right. And offering, you know, just prompts and advice. And then you get into like people who psychoanalyze just out of habit. Right. And that's how they relate to family. Um, right. I have seen that happen in the real world. People that have annoyed me because they're just not being, they're not having human conversations. Mm-hmm. Everything's a therapy session. Right. Right. And they always have that thoughtful look on their face and sometimes jotting notes while you're talking. And you're just like, no, just talk to me.
1: Just be a human with me for a second. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that I think that there is a trap. Like, so there are different. There are so many different styles of therapy and I won't bore you with all of them. But there's a fundamental mindset, I think, that goes into it where when you ascribe to certain therapeutic orientations, you recognize the fact that we're all humans here and you are part of the environment that the client is living in, if that makes sense. So if you sit there and you try and be completely distinct and you say, I don't have feelings, I don't have thoughts, I don't have anything that's going on here because I'm the therapist, then you're most likely not connecting with the client at that human level. And that doesn't mean that you go into it and start giving advice, but it's more like you are open to the fact that you are having an experience too. You don't have to share it with the client. And oftentimes I don't. Um, In fact, I can only think of a couple times in my life where I have shared anything, where it would be something that would be therapeutically helpful. But in that session, I am striving to be aware of what is going on in me and what is it that makes me not want to step into whatever it is that my client is talking about too. you know, because we're all in this pool together, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I'm seeing like while you're talking, I'm seeing so many connections now between all of the otherwise like discrete areas of your life. Right. And this kind of philosophy. So, OK, first question When did you decide to start? Okay, when did yoga come into your life?
1: Oh, I started yoga in, I can't remember if it was 2002 or 2003. But at the time, I was working at a large software company in the Seattle area. And I went to a personal trainer at the gym that we were given access to. And he said to me something like, you know, you're doing really well in terms of like strength, But your flexibility is really lacking. You should probably try a yoga class. And I kind of laughed at him and was like, whatever, yoga, shmoga.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that I can't imagine hearing from you, but okay.
1: (laughs) But I'm also, I was at the time and still have tendencies towards being like a big rule follower. So he told me to do it. So I picked up the group fitness schedule and found a yoga schedule that worked or a yoga class that worked in my schedule. And I didn't understand when I looked at the schedule. So it had the time of the class and then said yoga. And then underneath it, it said forest in tiny little letters. And I didn't know what forest meant. I didn't understand that that meant anything. I just thought that it was just something random that went on the schedule. And so I started going to that class and it was a beginner class met twice a week And I stayed in that class for probably about three or four months and then moved on to the quote unquote intermediate class and did that for a couple years and was really, it was amazing to me. And this is, this is kind of similar to most of my physical activities that I end up sticking with for a long time. I went there with one goal of increasing my flexibility and what ended up happening was so much more than that, that the idea of not going to it was just like, it never entered my mind, there was no way to not go. And we did things in that class that I had no idea that bodies could do the things that they do in yoga. And it was just a really exciting thing. And so I did that, yeah, for several years.
0: And then at some point you decided you were going to teach it.
1: I did, though I it took me a while. So I ended up going away from yoga, as most people do, and didn't do yoga for a number of years. And finally, probably three years after I had, like I kind of dabbled in yoga here and there, I finally understood what forest meant. It wasn't until like five years after I had started practicing that I finally understood that that word had a meaning. And so then I went to a series of classes that Ms. Forrest, Anna Forrest, was teaching in the Seattle area. And it was then that I really got into forest style. And it was probably six years after that that I decided to do the teacher training.
0: Yeah, Okay, so let's talk about Forrest a little bit first.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, the, the episode hasn't gone live yet, but my last guest was uh, Dr. Pam Peek. And by the time this goes live, obviously, that will be out. Um, but she is friends with Anna Forrest and a big fan of Forrest. But we didn't go into too much depth. So, in summary, what would you say sets Forrest yoga apart from other forms, other <sighs> styles?
1: I think that so when you talk about yoga, it's sort of like saying, I like quadrilaterals. So it's like this giant bucket that describes a general idea of what this form of movement is. But it means a lot of different things. So what Forrest does is it takes the quote unquote, more traditional yoga, a Hatha practice or an ayangar practice or something like that, and updated it for modern day injuries slash illness sort of things. So in other words, we spend a lot of time specifically focusing on pain that you might experience in your back, neck, shoulders, wrists, other joints. And we also have a very deep mindfulness component that will help with or that is thought to help with the psychological stuff, emotional stuff that most of us are carrying. So in a given class, we start out always with a similar warm up that is meant to get the body ready to perform the final quote unquote apex pose. And along the way, we're also giving cues to help with uh, like emotional or thoughts, like whatever it is that comes up for you that tends to be a trigger. And we're guiding people through not only the physical practice, but also acknowledging that you're more than just a body doing poses, that these poses have an impact on your mind. And you can thus have a impact on your mind back by doing certain poses. And approaching them in certain ways. So Forrest strives to kind of put all of that together in a way that is also fun and exhilarating and cultivates joy for people.
0: And highly athletic. And highly <laughs> athletic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think you'll I think I could admit this to you and you'll get it. When I started actually you just said this basically. But when I started doing yoga it was because I wanted to get more exercise. Um, Mm -hmm. you, you first met me 40 pounds ago and like, I just wanted a workout that wouldn't be too hard. You know, like I don't like, I didn't like running at that point, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I did rapidly discover that it had a strong emotional effect on me, Mm -hmm. uh, unexpectedly. It was not why I was there and it wasn't even an overt part of the instruction. Mm -hmm. I just began to realize that, yeah, there is this weird connection As an atheist who doesn't even consider himself spiritual, the idea of, like, energy and um, emotional centers, like, physically in the body was kind of annoying to me. Mm -hmm. I kind of can't deny that whatever is happening is very helpful to me.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I'm kind of at that point where the idea of not going, Mm -hmm. like you said, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's not really an option. No matter how bad a morning I'm having, I know it'll get better if I go sweat it out on a mat and and really consciously listen to my body and <laughs> mm-hmm. pay attention. And breathing is the best thing I've gotten out of it. But my first couple weeks of class, I didn't get... I was still breathing too fast.
1: Mm-hmm. And I was trying
0: to do like three breaths. Not trying, but just naturally doing three breaths in the middle of a pose and learning to actually breathe through the poses. Mm-hmm. That's been I think the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It affects, it, it affects my whole life. Just like focusing on breath. But.
1: Isn't it amazing? I'll have conversations with people and realize that I've suddenly activated my feet and I'm doing ujjayi breathing.
0: <laughs> Which is an audible form of breathing. Um, Correct.
1: Making a whisper sound.
0: <laughs> I, I actually do, I do it uh, when I'm running. If I do like interval running, When I slow down, I just naturally go into either like the cooling breath or Ujjayi Mm -hmm. as I like regain, like as my chest starts to tighten up and I think Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a heart attack, I can like settle it back down that way. Anyway,
1: I love hearing about things like that. I just think it's so wonderful when yoga starts out on the mat and then it just like permeates in this really subtle way into other aspects.
0: It does so there's another area man i Mm. do have so many questions this is going to jump around a little bit but there's another area that i feel like based on what i know of people who practice it it is one of those things that also permeates uh you enjoy brazilian jiu-jitsu
1: i love brazilian jiu-jitsu that is true
0: people who practice or compete in bjj Mm -hmm. which i don't like saying it sounds like a I know. But I may anyway cuz it's a lot fewer syllables. Um uh people who compete in this do they they become very uh their life becomes brazilian jiu-jitsu centric. Uh I've seen it like people who jones for what they call rolling. Correct. Um so what is it about Well first tell us what brazilian jiu-jitsu is I'm sure I've heard everyone probably knows what Jiu Jitsu is and they know what Judo is and Judo and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu kind of have common roots and then separated but
1: right and honestly you probably know more about the history of it than I do my experience of it is pretty much experiential as opposed to book so Jiu Jitsu is or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is a For people who are familiar with judo and familiar with wrestling, it's sort of a combo of the two. Oftentimes, and kind of depending on the gym that you're at, you start standing. So backing up, it's a partner-based martial art. And you're working with each other to get a submission. And a submission is either a joint lock, like an arm bar. Ronda Rousey made those super famous. Um, They also have wrist locks um, or doing a choke. And so basically what you're trying to do is get your partner to tap out. And it's very – it's full contact and there are – there's a ton of technique involved. But one of the things that makes Brazilian jiu-jitsu different than some other martial arts and different fighting techniques is that the smaller person actually has a chance against the larger person, especially because you do so much of your – So much of the contact happens on the ground and you can use your leverage in a lot of different ways. So I think for, I mean, this is me kind of getting on a soapbox for a second here, but I think that for a lot of females, even though it is a male dominated martial art currently in a lot of places, I think it is a wonderful skill for women to have because you can use it in so many different ways.
0: Aside from self-defense.
1: Correct. Yep.
0: In fact, they list it when when I read about it, self-defense is usually like the afterthought. It's promoted that, more as a sport.
1: Right. Especially for people who are competing. I never competed, but I trained with people who were. And it was when I would train with people who were, it always elevated my game exponentially. It's just it's so it's a you only get as good as your training partner. And, you know, you work together to make it so that you're constantly improving. So I've lost track of your question.
0: Oh, me too. I'm, I'm fascinated. <laughs> it's fine. Um, So do you, when you go to like the classes that you go to, is that what yes. they call classes? Is there a, is I
1: there call a it, dojo yeah. involved? It's, I call it training. We go training. Tra- I go train. When yep. you go mm-hmm. to
0: training, do you have like a dedicated partner or do you just show up and they assign you someone
1: no yeah you sign you show up and you usually will go kind of around the room and pair with anyone and everyone sometimes so in some gyms you have enough people there where you'll actually have um gender specific classes so there'll be a women's class and a men men's class but most there aren't enough women who are training so you have co-ed classes and so women will train with men you are constantly working with one person on one technique and then you'll switch it up and work with somebody else because everybody's body is different and you never know who you're going to compete against or who you're going to bump into and need to defend yourself against. And so as a result, you want to train against every type of body. And when I first started, I thought that because I was one of the only females that was there and because I was not a jujitsu person, I didn't know all the techniques that that was a... Liability that people wouldn't want to train with me as a result. And actually it ended up being the opposite where people really wanted to, because I didn't respond the way that they were expecting. Hmm. And so it made it so that they could train differently and better and keep on getting better.
0: That, that relates to a question I had. Um, do you find at all that in like male, female matches, are there guys in this that, Or, like, especially white belts that would pull punches?
1: I've never had. So to speak. I've I've never had anyone actually punch me.
0: Well, yeah. I I mean, (laughs) just, like, go easy or be afraid to choke.
1: So I've had a variety of experiences with male partners some of which do fall into the category that you're talking about, where they they are worried that they would hurt me in some way and so they'll go light. In fact, I remember when I first started training, I had been training for about a month and then all of a sudden it got so much harder and I was like, why am I so bad at this? And my teacher said, no, they're just not, they're not going slow on you anymore now. Like they know that you can handle it and so now they're really playing.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs>
1: But after that, once I had trained for a while and new guys would come into the gym, what I experienced more often than not was that like, they would come up to me and be like, oh, I'm totally going to win against this girl.
0: <laughs>
1: and then when I could hold my own, they would get mad. Oh, really? Yeah. And so it was really interesting to see. And it didn't, I mean, clearly it was like that happened maybe 15% of the time and the rest of the time they were great. And oftentimes those guys would end up not coming back (laughs) because it was, you know, their ego. And you see that on the mat, right? The mat is this incredible leveling experience where you see yourself very clearly, rawly, honestly, because if you turn into a jerk when you lose, You're not going to most likely you're not going to keep on coming back because you will lose. You lose. There are always people who are better than you. There are always people who will be able to submit you because you make the same mistake every time or whatever it is. And so if you can't handle that, then it either you, you either have to evolve and become someone who can handle that or you it's not the sport for you. And I think that that's one of the things that makes jujitsu so awesome as like another thing where you're on the mat and off the mat because what you do on the mat transfers out into the rest of your life. And it becomes something where by practicing Brazilian jujitsu, by training and approaching the mat and having to practice this intense vulnerability with these people of like – Asking people to partner with me, like all the kind of things that we socially don't like to do as humans because it's scary. All of a sudden in my real life, because I had been doing that so often in my classes, I was able to do that out in the real world. Yeah, And so I got benefit that was that was just it kept on it became this snowball of positive effects. Not only was I getting stronger physically and my body was learning these new exciting movements, but I was also developing these skills that made me better able to live the life that I wanted to live.
0: I think that's kind of almost exactly what I thought Your answer or anyone else in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu would be is the uh, impact it has on the rest of the life. Mm -hmm. Um, I can understand there's a great fun in choking or being choked. Um, (laughs) That sounded very sexual. Um, In fact, I think I'm going to title the episode um, a variety of experiences with male partners just to mislead people.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: No, I won't do that. Um, I'm gonna. I'm titling it. I like quadrilaterals. <laughs> um, but okay. I do geometry is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it as an aside, it is the one thing I learned in school that I thought would never apply, and now it does. But I don't remember it. I remember more useless like um, algebra and and calc than I do geometry and trigonometry, mm-hmm. which is frustrating. I feel like I need to go back. Anyway, I've gotten good at this current age at something I was horrible at before, and that is being able to keep losing until I win. I Mm. used to do that where if I didn't feel like I could win from the beginning, I didn't want to play. Mm -hmm. And now I can just take every loss as kind of a learning uh, step on the ladder. Yeah. And then eventually I can be really, really good at something, which I'm... I've come to appreciate like I actually start to enjoy losing, mm-hmm. especially to people that I respect, you know, who who gain my respect by winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I feel like I could handle something like this now. I kind of I'm very curious about it.
1: I would highly recommend giving it a go.
0: Where can you where can I go around this southern Minnesota area?
1: So unfortunately for us, the closest place is about an hour away in Rochester, And it's a place called, can I, can I give a plug? Is that allowed? Yeah. Oh, totally. Okay. So it's a place called Mario Roberto Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. They're in Northern Rochester. It's fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed training there. I got my, I did my original training when I was in Iowa city at Iowa city, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I. Love that place. So if anyone is in the Iowa City area that is listening to this and you are remotely interested in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, do yourself a huge favor and just go try it because you will you will have an amazing experience. That group of people is phenomenal. The people in Rochester are also amazing. Um, they... They have a more competitive, like more people, I think they are, are doing um, more mixed martial arts. So you see people doing, um, they'll have like a boxing portion. They go into the ring and they like really duke it out. Um, and then there are just people like me who go there for the hobby sport. Cool. Yeah. And they have classes at all kinds of all times of day, like very, very early in the morning, like 545 early in the morning. Um, They have a midday class and then evening
0: classes. It sounds exactly like what I would do with yoga and start going to the evening classes just because it seemed like I'd be more awake and ready. And then Mm -hmm. eventually getting to a point where a 545 in the morning class sounded appealing because it was a great way to start a day. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. I would do that if it wasn't an hour away because that four o'clock in the morning or whatever, 430 leaving to get there, that is that is just a
0: step too far. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, yeah, I could totally leave at 530. Right.
1: <laughs> right. That would be OK.
0: Uh, well, oddly, there's this weird psychological division between 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. for me. If I wake okay. up at 5 a.m., I'll just gladly get up. That's a good time to get up. If I wake up at 4.40 a.m., I'm like, ah, I woke up Mm. too early. (laughs) Yeah, anyway.
1: I have a similar experience when my daughter wakes up and she wants to be fed. If it's 5 o'clock, I'm like, thanks, this is perfect. (laughs) And if it's 4.30, I'm like, ugh,
0: really? Now I
1: have to go back to sleep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There is just like half an hour, but it feels psychologically very uh, different. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's one more topic I want to talk about before we get to the top three picks., yes. and it's something you mentioned a couple times in the uh, in the topics that we initially covered is the joy vulnerability spectrum. Yes. do you want to tell me what you mean by that?
1: Yes, yes. and actually this tie I mean you're right, it ties into all the things that we've talked about so far. So this joy vulnerability spectrum, I usually think of when you are being, again, authentic, honest, genuine about the things that are most important to you, the things that bring you the most joy. What goes along with that is intense vulnerability. Brene Brown talks a bit about this and her vulnerability stuff, and it also filters into the, specific, the particular style of therapy that I do, which is basically, if you look at this thing it's kind of like two sides of the same coin when you are deeply connecting with others there is in that inherently vulnerability and if you are choosing to protect yourself and not getting vulnerable then along with that kind of goes the lack of joy because so often I mean you might feel Safer, And therefore, you might not have that same sort of like butterflies in my stomach, nervous energy, hands shaking, feeling like you might throw up at any moment. But at the same time, there is a lack of vitality and your life is kind of like stuck in a certain level of openness that it's at at that moment, if that makes sense. But anytime that you want to expand it, anytime that you want to start to explore these other areas and increase your joy, what goes along with that is vulnerability.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so an they, example. Oh, go ahead. Are they, you said you use the word spectrum. Mm-hmm. So do you think that joy and vulnerability are opposite ends of a spectrum or just that they correlate?
1: I think that it's sort of like you have two, you have a dial, right? Like a spectrum. And I would say that oftentimes and it's not a hundred percent of the time, but oftentimes in order to move towards joy, there is a willingness to experience vulnerability at the same time. It's rare that when you're experiencing joy, you're decreasing your vulnerability. Does that make sense?
0: It makes total sense.
1: So it's sort of like if you have two sliders that are going, they seem to be pretty much like synced up.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no risk, no reward kind of concept.
1: Exactly. So in order for me to have the joy of opening up my experiences and going to jujitsu, I had to be intensely vulnerable. And in order for me to be in the relationship that I'm in now and to have this amazing daughter, there is inherent in it this vulnerability. And um, in order for me to be the mom that I want to be, it means really being willing to look at those uncomfortable experiences that I'm having in the moment. Yeah. So an example of that is my daughter's screaming in her car seat in the back of the car right
0: and we now, have to get somewhere. You no. want to take care of
1: that. <laughs> right, exactly. Whoops, I had this podcast, put her in the car. No, just kidding. She's with dad. <laughs> but so I have in that moment the overwhelming urge to just like put the pacifier in her mouth have her be quiet. And like, I just want it to stop. But at the same time, like if I'm willing to be vulnerable, and I'm willing to look at my experience of what's going on, there's a whole bunch more that's going on for me in that moment. So if I'm willing to actually make space for that, the, you know, the thoughts that I'm not taking care of her needs, the all of that, the emotions that are coming up, the and the fact that there's a biological thing going on, too, of like, oh, wow, my hormones are really raging right now because every time she cries, it makes my body do this other thing. If I can take a look at that with that sort of perspective, then it makes it much more likely that I'm going to be able to actually meet her needs and bring more joy and vitality into both of our lives. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. this it, it, You're tying all the way back into therapy at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and relating to people that is yeah your whole life does make sense when you put it like all of these separate things that you do and have done do like 100% tie together like it is a cohesive there needs to be like a single word like thera psych yoga (laughs) jujitsu anaurapist um (laughs)
1: Can we can we go back to something? Is that all right? Can I say something totally, about something else? Totally. Okay. So one thing, I, I'm really harping on jujitsu. And honestly, I haven't, to be completely honest, I haven't trained in the last year because I was pregnant and I had an injury before that. And so I've been off the mat for a year and I'm very much looking forward to getting back on. But that being said, a lot of times people have the conception that jujitsu is a very sexual thing. And I really want to address that because I think for a lot of women, it makes it less likely that they're going to go. And for men, it makes it less likely that you want to pair with a woman because there's this idea of like, oh, if I train with a lady, then that she's going to think that I'm interested in her and blah, 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 blah. And There is like I'll acknowledge the fact that some people go to jujitsu for like to meet people and to date that exists as people go to coffee shops or book clubs or whatever it is to like in the hopes of finding somebody. That being said, when you are in the process of actually rolling with someone or practicing a technique it's not what is going on. Like then, it is all about the technique and the art and the sport. And for me personally, I had very—I was—I was single when I was training jujitsu, and I had very strong boundaries around that. Where and it, it never came up. Like there was never the idea of dating anybody that was there because it just was so strongly like I come here to train jujitsu. I do not come here for boys. And uh, I think that a lot of people have a similar experience. They come in and they talk about like, my wife is okay with me training with you because she knows that this is all about the sport as opposed to me trying to hook up. So I just want to put that out there.
0: I had no idea that was a thing, but it leads me to ask, where'd you meet your husband?
1: Oh, he and I actually met online.
0: Okay, I thought it was going to be hilarious if you said no. (laughs) (laughs) and so
1: the reason that I knew that I really liked him was that so I taught yoga two nights a week at the time and I um, trained jujitsu the other two nights of the week and so it made like actually going out on dates very difficult because there were so few times to us to actually get together and I knew that I really liked him because I was willing to leave jujitsu a little bit early or Even, like, towards the end there, like, I was actually skipping training sessions to go and hang out with him. And I was like,
0: oh, this
1: is for real now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. I would like to point out, uh, to your immense credit, I think you took one month off from uh, teaching yoga Mm -hmm. to have your baby. Right. Right. But six weeks, it was six weeks, six weeks. So you put yeah. like seven and a half months of being pregnant and teaching, which means that from when I started going, you must have already been like two or three months pregnant. Yeah, and I don't remember
1: when you started, but I think I was. You yeah.
0: were teaching up until you looked like you were going to burst and you had no problem. You were still way better than I was. <laughs> and I would never fight you. No, I shouldn't say. I would be honored to get to a point where I felt I could get into a ring with you.
1: Oh, that's very nice. In the beginning,
0: though, I would would absolutely know I was going to lose going in.
1: We could do it. We could do it right now.
0: Well, I mean, not right now,
1: (laughs) but I have I have mats at my house. You can just come on over. We can we can get started.
0: Are, are, are you uh, are you capable of instructing?
1: No, yeah. no. I mean, I could very, so very basically you're just inviting
0: me you. over so that you can beat me up.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: OK. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that brings us to our top three picks. Yes. So this goes one one at a time back and forth and you get to start.
1: OK. I am going to start with. Well, it's really hard to choose which one to go first with. Well, let's go easy. So the first thing that I'm going to go with is my AeroPress coffee maker.
0: Okay. okay. Yeah. So
1: so my AeroPress – you may have heard me mention Seattle a few times here. Once or twice. I, I lived in Seattle for um, 16 years or so, give or take. And as a result, became a coffee – I wouldn't say snob, but like it is a – it is a core component of my life. Unaficionado. I, I wouldn't go that far. A fan. Yes, I'm a fan. Like, <laughs> you know, people will be like, oh, this coffee has hints of cherry in it or whatever. I don't I don't have that. <laughs> I'm I'm like, I like this cup of coffee. I don't this think those people are coffee.
0: OK anyway. So.
1: <laughs> right. But my so a friend of mine got me this AeroPress coffee maker before that. I was doing stovetop espresso and um, this AeroPress coffee maker has taken over my life. I love it. It makes a delicious cup of coffee. It's easy peasy. So the I don't know if people are familiar with the AeroPress coffee oh, yes. maker.
0: My, my audience is is very if if nothing else, they have heard about it extensively from their <laughs> coffee fan friends.
1: Oh, good. Well, then I won't go into detail. I'll just say, there we go. Aeropress coffee maker every
0: morning. Let's say let's mention that it costs like 30 bucks and there's really there's no moving parts on it. All you need to do is heat up water and make your coffee. And yeah, it's kind of a perfect system. I use it every day.
1: It's a perfect system. It is. Yep.
0: I use it with uh, beans that I buy fresh roasted, and shipped to me in vacuum-sealed bags that have notes of cherry. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, the first half is true. Um, I, uh, I I do. I, it's about the only way I make coffee anymore. Have you heard of AeroPress Timer? No. Do you own an iPhone? I do. Go to the App Store and look up AeroPress Timer. It is a simple app that comes with all the like well-known and even some more obscure recipes uh as far as like water to coffee ratios and timing and things. And wow. it has the inverted and upright uh different, the recipes that are based on that. How do you, how do you usually make a cup of coffee in your Aeropress?
1: I, I did not know that there were different ways oh, to there's, do it.
0: There's at least 20 different like Basic ways, and then you can adjust things very minutely. That
1: standard recipes. Okay, so what I do is um, I start with my coffee. I traditionally get my coffee from a roaster called Fidalgo Bay Roaster. Shout out to you guys in the San Juan Islands; they're amazing. Anyway, um, Fidalgo Bay Roaster coffee. Put it in my little Aeropress. I put in um, they like that Aeropress scoop. I -hmm. do two of those. Um, which is like a half a cup of coffee and then um, I I have it set up so that the plunger is on the bottom and the other one is on top at line
0: four that is yeah inverted
1: inverted okay good that makes sense because yes and then I pour the water in stir it I am terrible about appropriately timing this I te- I treat it like tea and mm-hmm. I let it steep for as long as possible to get every last little bit of caffeine out of there, and then I screw the little um, strainer thingy on there. I have the metal strainer, mm-hmm. and then I invert it onto my cup using their wonderful little—I don't know what that is—funnel, the octagonal or yes. hexagonal we'll call funnel. It funnel, funnel. And then I press it.
0: I would get less coffee all over the counter if I m- made use of that funnel.
1: it it, so a friend of mine so she's the one who got it for me we were exploring our aeropress and we were like we never looked at the instructions we were just like what is this thing for and then (laughs) she she magically discovered that if you like a two-year-old putting puzzle pieces together (laughs) like oh this thing this block fits through this hole
0: i appreciate that you have friends who just like to stick things into other things to see what happens (laughs)
1: Right? Exactly.
0: Yep. Mm -hmm. She's
1: wonderful. Anyway, so and then she informed me of this and I was like, oh, my gosh, changed my life and saved my counters.
0: (laughs) My my wife would very much appreciate if I got less coffee on the counter. But just for reference, my favorite recipe is it's called the charger and you can find it in the AeroPress timer. But it's one scoop of grounds and then filled. Well, first I put boiling water just enough to wet them but not make them float. Oh. And I leave mm-hmm. that for 30 seconds. So that's called okay. blooming the grounds. And oh. then um then I wait for the water to reboil. I use a uh, uh Zujiroshi. Z- oh. Z- 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 the you know the tea water heater. And right. I just hit reboil to get it up to two twelve. And then um so then while that's blooming i go put a filter i have both metal and paper i kind of like the paper better but um then oh. i wet that so that it sticks to the thing like f- washing the filter is kind of stupid but uh, it sticks that way when it's inverted mm-hmm. um and then fill it all the way up to four with the hot the boiling water go ahead and cap it and then i'll do two minutes of steeping and then yeah. a slow press Um, I've just found that after two minutes, it really, it doesn't get that much stronger, but I've done, I've done with two scoops of coffee Mm -hmm. and I've also found that, that I just the amount of liquid that comes out, it's something, it gets concentrated somehow in a way that's not just stronger. It's also less quantity and ultimately feels the same. Interesting. It makes my beans, like it makes a pound of beans last a full month. No problem though. (laughs)
1: right exactly i was gonna say i go through coffee like crazy this way but yeah check out the check out that timer i'm going to and i'm also gonna try this this way that you are talking blooming the grounds i've never done that it
0: gives it this is like if you like your coffee to have a little bit of crema like the mm. light espresso Mm -hmm. style right layer on top that's yeah. how you get to it.
1: That's how I get it. See, all my, if my Seattle friends ever listen to this, they're going to be like, oh my God, Jen, I can't believe you didn't know what Blooming the Grounds was. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Okay. Awesome. Okay. Good now pick. you get to go. Yes. Uh, first off, I would like to retract an earlier pick. I said that I was having a great time with my Max Boost screen protector on my iPhone. It started chipping uh, about two days later. Uh, without dropping or anything just like being in my pocket it started chipping and it got sharp and then it would cut my finger and so that came off and i actually anti-recommend it so my first choice though appropriately enough is uh my new natural rubber yoga mat from yoga accessories
1: (gasps) i love yoga accessories
0: yes it's basically a generic version of something else i don't remember what the original is but it costs about half as much and it's heavy but not so heavy you can't walk around with it but way heavier than like the cheap mat i had from target originally Mm -hmm. but the beauty of it is that it doesn't get slippery when i sweat and my previous mat by the time i was halfway through a class and i'd go into like warrior two my back foot would just start slipping and it was not ideal this is basically like a perfect like landing pad i feel like a fly on it good stability
1: a, <laughs> a fly good yoga flew mat flew
0: into my nose during the when we were ending class the other day a fly went into my nostril
1: <laughs> did you practice kapalabhati and I get don't know it what out that is that's
0: is that our breathing, breathing <laughs>
1: exercise you know this one we do it all the time
0: no, I didn't. I hit myself in the face <laughs> and then just could not relax for the rest of the cool down. Ugh. I
1: love that pick of yours. A good a good yoga mat is like so you go to Target and you spend 20 bucks on a no offense to Target, I'm sure they do a wonderful job cheap mat, you know, whatever. But a cheap mat is a cheap mat and you spend 60 dollars or probably at yoga accessories, I don't know how much you spend on that one, 50. but like yeah 50 60 you can you you can go up in price whatever but you actually make an investment in a good yoga mat and it makes a huge difference it does it supports the joints better it makes it less likely you're going to slip all over the place i highly 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 recommend and yoga accessories is great they actually that's where i bought all of the props for my study nice that's actually a lie. I bought my props from one other place too but yoga accessories hooked me up so it was great
0: yeah this was uh it was a it was recommended to me by l another instructor at infinity Mm -hmm. um and it was yeah brilliant Mm -hmm. all right so what's your second pick
1: I think I'm gonna go with a more touchy-feely one for the next one which is my social support network And I like to think about a social support network as not just people. It can be – and it can be like – it doesn't have to be like people who you talk to for like three hours at a time about your most intimate, deep details. That could be a component of your social support network and it's a big component of mine. But I also have people in my support network who are like back in Iowa City or the Seattle area, the dog park people. And eventually sometime in this area when we get a dog park – it'll be the dog park people who know nothing about my life and all we do is stand together and laugh at our dogs being ridiculous beings.
0: Yeah, except that one person who who brings the poodle and then gets mad when the dogs try to play with it because they assume everyone's being aggressive. That's why I don't go to dog parks. Please continue.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Even those people can be part of your support network. But I think that the For me, one of the things that makes my support network or one of the things I've learned about how I need my support is that I need a a very broad, diverse range of support. So it can be something like a good long talk with a friend. It can be going to the dog park. It can be listening to a podcast. So one of my top podcasts, see how I'm, I'm wedging in another top three pick into this one.
0: It's become a common practice. Go for it.
1: I'm really glad that I can jump on that bandwagon. So, um, things like, uh, things that help me stay in a more like healthy lifestyle. Um, the one that I'm currently really into is the model health show podcast. It's run by this guy named Sean Stevenson and he does a really nice mix of like research and just talking about things that are important to people who are interested in movement and nutrition and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so I think that having a really broad open social support network that kind of fulfills all the different needs that you have and not expecting any one particular aspect to do that is important.
0: And I've, I would put that in my top 3. I think that sounds really healthy having well, <laughs> having backup plans for everything or not right. even like a distributed redundant network of of backups.
1: Right. You know, exactly from your you days in the
0: tech industry, that should sound familiar.
1: Exactly, that's I was going to say. You don't have just like one server; you have <laughs> many servers with lots of backups, right? And it's the same kind of thing here. We have we have lots of different ways, and it can't be like your social support network or your your support network cannot be something that only relies on other people because there's going to be times where you need support that other people are not available. So something like Cooking or listening to a podcast or having like a book that you go to where you don't need anyone else is really important I know you've talked about and I definitely align with going for walks in nature. That's a huge one for me
0: Yeah, see I don't rely on other people for anything. Yeah, um, and other that's people not to sound good or bad. I just don't uh, I enjoy time with other people, but they're not my source of stability People are very unreliable in that area they can be humans. Humans. Ugh. Oh, humans. Emotions. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. All right. So we have a podcast and a general social support network. Mm-hmm. Nicely done. Thank you. My second pick is the opposite of touchy feely. Mm. Um, there's a special. I may have picked this before. I've done a poor job of keeping track, but Jen Kirkman, are you familiar with her? A comedian? I'm not. Um, she has a special that's been out for a while now called I'm going to die alone and I feel fine. I think I would like that. It is amazing. You would. I don't, she's, she's not a huge fan of, uh, children, but Mm. you may find humor in that as well. I probably would. I like dry, dark humor. That is what this is. And it is, it's also vulnerable while being joyful. (laughs) I think you would appreciate (laughs) it. Um, she uh, that special I watched a few times over a few days because <laughs> you just kept wanting to go back to it. She's very lovable. I enjoyed mm. it quite a bit. Since you're not familiar, it won't be a full on conversation now.
1: No. But the, what it made me think of, I don't know if you saw. And now I'm forgetting. Oh, um, One Mississippi with Tig Notaro. Have you seen yes. that? Yes.
0: Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> just,
1: it makes me think of that show. Did which you see I... the
0: Knock Knock It's Tig special?
1: No, I think that's what it
0: was called. Where she just went around doing backyard shows for people.
1: Oh my god! For
0: like twenty people in people's backyards. I would. It, I it was, I was super scared. good. Oh my gosh! I'm I mean, gonna I look at that. Tig is one of the most brilliant com- comedians. Truly, in our, in our current time.
1: Truly, one of the funniest people I've ever ever watched. Had the pleasure of being introduced to in my life. Like not, I'm not personally introduced. Clearly, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> but um, found out about her through the, this American Life movie. Yeah, that's
0: how I discovered her, yeah.
1: Yeah, and ever since then, I mean, I have not laughed that hard in a long time. Like, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And then her
0: show was also hilarious. Yeah, with my wife and friends who are familiar with her work, it only takes like one, <laughs> one line or one... Uh, sound like her like uh, clown horn sound mm-hmm. um, and and it's over. Like we can't stop laughing.
1: It's, I uh, always yeah. say, oh, you like my speaking voice? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you definitely should watch the uh, knock knock one. I'm going to. All right.
1: Okay. Number three. You like how I just took over your podcast? I,
0: I can appreciate that.
1: So number three for me is a resource. It's a book called the Practicing Happiness Workbook and it's a it when you if you look for it online, don't be surprised when you see a pink cover with a daisy on it. I discovered this book as part of my clinical training and one it was co-taught um, the seminar that I was in was co-taught by the person who led our clinic and then one of the professors and uh, in the department and the professor in the department she is a, Spitfire woman, she always she tells it like it is and I really appreciate her for it. She walks in with this book. She looks at Jim, the other professor and she says, "I can't believe you're making me carry around a pink book with a <laughs> daisy on it." <laughs> <laughs> that being said, if you can look past the cover, the the contents of this are awesome. So for people who have never been introduced to mindfulness or who are, who have been introduced to it, but just need a little bit of help of practicing it. This book does a really beautiful job of laying out simple, um, easy to understand, easy to practice ways of practicing mindfulness and also introduces what we typically think of as, um, Difficulties that come with just being human, like the idea that most of us ruminate on certain things and it normalizes that, makes it something that is, you know, natural that we would do and also has strategies for how to approach that from a mindfulness perspective. And so I think it is a wonderful book for humans in general, but particularly people who are thinking about increasing mindfulness, increasing their intentionality with the way that they are living their lives and trying to cultivate more of that joy vulnerability spectrum nice thanks
0: i just ordered it from my kindle because then i don't have to have the practicing happiness cover with the daisy (laughs) right
1: exactly
0: (laughs) yeah not that i'm too uh, worried you know there aren't a lot of people seeing what books are next to my bed but you never know i would still feel that same like i can't believe i have to carry this around right right Unless it was very, unless I really owned it, like I would wear that shirt, but it would have to, I would feel it necessary to like cut the sleeves off. So it was like tattoos and a daisy.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: So everyone knew for sure that I was being ironic. Right. I'm so self-conscious. And you could
1: cover it with stickers.
0: Or make one of those cool like uh, paper bag covers that give you so you don't ruin books in grade school. Mhm. all right so my last pick will fit in perfectly with that in a not at all sort of way um this i got my, my mom asked for a battery pack for her birthday uh so that she could keep her phone charged on longer road trips and so i went out looking for a good battery pack at not too expensive a price and i found the I don't know how they say this. It's E-A-S-Y-A-C-C. Easy Axe. Easy Um (laughs) But it's the Monster Power Bank. It's a 20,000 milliamp hour battery with... Okay, and here's what I love about it is it has dual inputs. So you can plug in two USB cables at once to charge it in about two hours all the way up to 20,000 milliamp hours, which is more than enough to charge her Android phone five or six times. And it has a flashlight and it has four output ports. so You can charge four devices simultaneously and they're all smart voltage. So you don't have to worry about, well, this port's for the iPad and this port's for the iPhone and um, you just plug it in and it figures out how not to blow it up.
1: That's super cool. I'm looking at it right now and it looks like it also has a solar charger.
0: Uh not that? there is oh. one that has that. Um oh. this one does not. This one's only $33. It has oh. a flashlight. There you go. Which I can see except the flashlight <laughs> would be cooler, but it's kind of big. Um it's heavier than I thought it would be. Not a perfect like jogging companion, but fine mm-hmm. for like uh carry-on luggage things like that. There you go. Yeah.
1: That's very cool. Yeah. All right. Oh, I see. I see the one that you're talking about. Yes. That is very neat.
0: I do like black and orange. I don't know if it's a Halloween fixation I have, but it comes in black and orange and that's kind of pretty to me.
1: You can't go wrong with that. That's the color of the jogging stroller that I have.
0: Nice. I like orange highlights. Like I got I bought a pair of shoes once simply because the inside of them was orange. See, the outside was very normal. They were kind of like casual dress, but the inside was orange. I'm like, that's amazing. I want that. Can we agree
1: that our fourth pick, if we were allowed to have one, we would both choose orange? Yes.
0: (laughs) I don't know where I'll link that to, but I will add it to the note. There you go.
1: Perfect. Yeah, I would appreciate that. My bedroom has an orange wall. My wedding shoes were orange. I mean... There's just orange everywhere here.
0: I love it. I yeah. never thought of it until now, but orange. Maybe I've always said my favorite color was blue, mm. and it is a very. It's the the color that, like, immediately yeah. soothes me and makes me feel happy.
1: Hence your blue yoga mat. Yeah.
0: Yeah. However, well, that only came in blue and brown, and so oh. blue seemed obvious. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah. Thanks like, for that, setting me straight there. <laughs> I it, it yeah I mean still if it came in blue green and brown it still would have been blue. Um but I do also love deep reds especially on walls. Mm-hmm. Walls of deep red um and orange. And I always thought of orange as something I like as a pop color, but really looking around I do buy things just because they're orange.
1: Huh. we have both learned so much about you today. Right.
0: Right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that uh, wraps up the interview.
1: Thank you very much for having me today.
0: This was a lot of fun. That was my line. Oh, shoot. No, I mean, I was supposed to say thank you very much for being here. But you're very proactive. I appreciate that. Um, I do appreciate your time on a Saturday morning.
1: It was lovely. I I wouldn't spend it any other way.
0: And you can be found at the currently infrequently updated facebook page jen bear yoga
1: yes and if you message me there i will get back to you
0: perfect and then i'll link uh, a few of your other places including infinity wellness in winona minnesota which is just awesome i love going there even if i'm not going to yoga go buy (laughs) my my dynamic greens and hang out with all the wonderful people there um yeah perfect we are a great group you really are Thanks. Never change. Well, no. But
1: keep change. changing. Right. Evolve. Yeah, evolve. Yes. Okay. Fair
0: enough. All right. <laughs> and I'm Brett Terpstra. I am at brettterpstra.com and TTscoff everywhere else. Thanks again, Jen, and we'll see everybody in a week.